welcome to this, another episode of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Let's say it again. Our favorite show, your favorite show of the week. We've watched the games, Hayden. You scraped the data. We were talking about this. It's an important week, it feels like here, just in the football landscape. How many things have changed, I think, is put into perspective from, I don't know, week five versus week 13 slash week 14. Let's dive into a whole bunch of those names today. What do you say? I think the big thing is all of those rookies that we've been just like crying over for, I mean, all the way since last February, now they're starting to produce and we can't control ourselves. So it's that part of the year. The post-buy rookie bump is in full effect. And we're here to just soak it all in. And like 10% of my brain is now thinking of, okay, how early am I going to take X player in 2022 as well? Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll get to some of those conversations. Yeah. Speaking of that, there's you can draft right now. Right now. Go on underdogfantasy.com, download the app, promo code the show, and you can do 2022 best ball drafts right now, the second. So after yeah. the show, get over there. And it's all your favorite players, sophomores, juniors, second year, third year players. And if you want to get ahead of it, playoff best ball is about 50% full right now. Yep. So dive in. Whatever you deposit on your first time, we match it straight out of Hayden's pocket. 10 bucks. Skip a whole bunch of guacamole and put in 50 bucks if you want to. And boom, you're in. All right. As you all know, it is the fantasy usage show based on the fantasy usage model. Yes, we'll go through running backs wide receivers, and tight ends with the goal of putting context to production, spot some breakouts before they happen and help you in your waiver wires as I know all of you are approaching your fantasy football playoffs. All right, we start off with the running back position. I know you wanted to begin here, bat leadoff, with the Green Bay Packers backfield, but out of mind because they came off a bye week, but we had AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones. Obviously, Dillon played more than Aaron Jones prior to that due to injury. What's the status? What should we know heading in here to week 14? Well, the question is do they want to use Aaron Jones the same way as they did before? Because I think AJ Dillon has looked awesome. He ha- has the ability to catch passes out of the backfield, as we saw with Aaron Jones out of the lineup. And I think that this is going to be more of a committee than we've ever seen with Aaron Jones um, in the last couple of years. I think that this offense is really dope when they have A.J. Dillon to run between the tackles, and I think they can't put that cat back back in the bag. And even before this injury, Aaron Jones' usage was not top 10 usage. Like, if you drafted Aaron Jones in the first round, your team is pretty effed. I think he's going to be more of an RB2 when I do my rankings, and I would, I'm not sure if I want to start A.J. Dillon. I'll be following the news. But I think you're fooling yourself if you think you're going to get top 10 usage out of Aaron Jones down the stretch. One of the bread and butter plays of A.J. Dillon's pocket is that angle route out of the backfield. Guess how A.J. Dillon scored? Second and goal versus the Rams a couple weeks ago. From the five-yard line, Packers go two by two. It's an Aaron Jones staple. Obviously, A.J. Dillon's a bit slower in his breaks, but he totally shrugs off a high tackle by the Rams linebacker, then splits two defenders for the touchdown. I'm with you. We've seen catches extended away from his body. Neither player is a tell right now. AJ Dillon offers a bit of a different skill set. They each have their own winning traits. But in the end, 
both can be outstanding backs and how the Packers are overcoming so many issues along the offensive line too and still being so highly productive, that is not holding back the production as it is with other teams around the league. So I'm with you. It's, it's exciting. And we still have to learn more based on the emergence of Dylan um, as we move along here in the next few weeks. Over under for Aaron Jones, my fantasy rankings this, this week, uh, 19.5. Higher or lower than that? Based on injuries and people, maybe like Eli Mitchell not playing. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say under. I'm gonna say under that. I think it's like right in that range. It, which is it's new. It's a new ranking, but I think we have to adjust the AJ Dillon looked very impressive to me the last couple of weeks. Let's jump to that San Francisco 49ers backfield and namely Eli Mitchell, 22 carries for 66 yards and a loss to Seattle plus three receptions. Uh, we saw him leave for a period of time in that game with a head injury. Apparently, he was cleared to return. And now showed up on Monday morning and is in the concussion protocol after reporting symptoms again on, I believe, Monday or Tuesday morning. Uh, Eli Mitchell has been the trusted player for Kyle Shanahan. What stood out to me in that game, Hayden, zero runs of 10 plus yards. He did force four missed tackles, converted five first downs. But typically we view Eli as a home run threat and he wasn't that against Seattle. So again, that's why he just averaged three yards per carry against them. Yeah. I mean, the big question for, for this week is who's going to be the starting running back because delayed symptoms is not a good thing. Yeah. That is from what I understand about concussions. That is a not a good thing. I think that if I was had to guess, I'm going to guess most likely Eli Mitchell is not going to be able to play. Then we had Jeff Wilson who quote unquote had a knee flare up, which is not the first time that that's happened. Uh, Trey Sermon's on injured reserve. Jermichael Hasty was active, but they gave him like two snaps. He's also very undersized. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to provide the things uh, that a Eli Mitchell, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson can bring. So I don't know who's going to be starting at running back. I, I'm very curious to see if Debo Samuel can come back, but do they want to risk like Debo Samuel running back touches uh, a week after missing time from the groin injury? So I, I, I want to give somebody an, an answer for the waiver wire. I think that Jamichael Hasty deserves a spot. Maybe Jeff Wilson's knee just ends up being fine and he's the guy, but this entire depth chart is injured right now. And I think uh, I think that they're going to be bringing in somebody this week, at least for um, an evaluation. Yeah. After years and years of having, you know, split backfield usage, it felt like with Kyle Shanahan this year, he has gone with, mostly just one player when Eli has been healthy. And then outside of that, again, we saw Debo get six carries. And in fact, when Jeff Wilson, we thought might get some run at times, was mainly used as like a lead blocker in personnel groupings for Debo. I'm I'm very intrigued with Jamichael Hasty. I do wonder how much Cal is going to reveal, you know, as we head in, into the weekend for them. I think very little. And so it's just going to be anyone's guess if Eli does miss out. And yeah, delayed symptoms, as you mentioned, a very worrying trend when it comes to concussion protocols. At least we have the elite 49ers beat reporters to fall back on. They're <laughs> for sure going to help us out with the running back depth chart. Though what going back to like when like Trey Sermon had that one start, they were using Kyle Usechek as like the running back. Yeah. And yeah, they passing can do down. that. But that's passing down. That's what Jamichael Hasty does. So yeah. it's it's the early down work, like first and ten run to the perimeter that we've been seeing Eli Mitchell do who is handling that like maybe Jeff Wilson but easily could not be and you're on such a good streak this year you've hit on so many this could have been the opportunity for Trey Sermon too and look what happens on IR I'm so tilted about the Trey Sermon stuff <laughs> 
who remembers anything that happened in August? Let's the jump process to the, uh, was right. I, I, based on the information, we knew the process was right. Detroit Lions. DeAndre Swift has been out. Jamal Williams stepped in for him in a win over the Minnesota Vikings. 17 carries for 71 yards, just one reception again in that win over the Vikings. I want to highlight a few notable absences for the Vikings in that game. No Anthony Barr, no Eric Kendricks, no Everson Griffin, no Danell Hunter, no Patrick Peterson. So again, I'm not going to say this was necessarily the ceiling, but we got, again, close to feature back workload, full workload of 17 of 2017 carries for Jamal Williams. The problem was he didn't play a lot of the passing situations. So that was the worry, and it was worst-case scenario, and we should not be expecting the Lions to be winning too many games. So if DeAndre Swift is out, he Jamal Williams is more of like a flex play, not like an upside RB2 unless he gets the passing down work. But uh, they opted not to do it. They want to bang him between the tackles, and that's why they brought him in, and he's a very reliable runner when it comes to that stuff. But if you're not playing the passing downs, uh, you cannot be 80% De- DeAndre Swift. He's like 60% DeAndre Swift. So yeah. um, tough scenes. And everyone who listened to this show last week and I think the week before, I highlighted you know the broken tackle rate between the two force missed tackles. I think Jamal Williams only had one or two force missed tackles all of this past weekend. And so that's just a very different approach than what DeAndre Swift brings to the table, especially in the receiving game, as we highlighted. Can we quickly throw in um, Al- Alexander Madison in this conversation too, because sure. we don't have him listed more than anything for me, you can take away from Alexander Madison. Cause there was like no singular individual play that I'm like, Oh, I want to clip that and show that for this show. Uh, it was, you know, straight line running out of zone. And sometimes it looked a little more lethargic than Dalvin cook. He was pretty good on contact, but again, the usage is what exactly what we want to see. They completely and totally trust him. 22 of 27 running back carries plus three receptions. And I also want to highlight how many offensive line issues this team had because they had guards playing tackles and backups all over the place too. Yeah. Your Elon guy at left tackle, right? Oli Udo. Don't say a negative word about Oli. Very nice gentleman. Oli Udo is. I'm sure he is. It was a tough game uh, from him, but it doesn't matter. Alexander Madison, 26, 22, 22.3 expected half PR points. In starts, Dalvin Cook was limited today in practice, but they play on Thursday night. The initial reports was that he was going to be missing last week and then this week because I think they play the Bears the following week, and I think that's like the game that they're circling. So uh, he could go limited, 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 and be inactive if that's the case. Alexander Madison, once again, top five running back. And we're going to get to the wide receiver changes in just a little bit and how that might shift the offense. That would only, I think, help from a touch standpoint, potentially, Alexander Madison, as we go along, just for this Thursday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. We have seen James Conner in the lead ball carrier role the last few weeks. This might have been it, though, this past Sunday. 20 carries for 75 yards, two catches for 36 yards, and an awesome one-handed catch that I pull up here in a moment. Uh, This has now been three games, four weeks for Chase Edmonds to be on injured reserve. I don't have anything yet to bring up news-wise, but it doesn't sound like there have been any negative reports. And I think they did activate him off of injured reserve to get ready to take him off of it. Yeah, we'll have to see what the practice reports say. I I would say he's still somewhat 50-50 to play this game. I think like they've taken it pretty slow with Kyler. They took it really slow with DeAndre Hopkins. I wouldn't be surprised, um, especially 
because of the standings if they took it slow with him again james connor last week uh had the big full-time workload he has been popping off he's better than you think he is um not you josh but like the people the good people of twitter.com <laughs> who were in my mentions all off season about how washed he is he's much better than that and he's averaged 20 uh 22 half ppr points in the four games without chase Edmonds. so like lock him up top 10 at the very worst um and he should play more snaps because they had like 40 plays the cardinals had last week because they always had the ball off Andy Dalton interceptions at the 10 yard line. So um, he's, he's an RB one league winner, whatever you want to call him. You're happy. You got him from a fantasy lens. This is such a big deal. I know my connection is not great now, but this is such a big deal. Hayden, because let's say Edmonds comes back this weekend and is back to his old self. Right. And that means you get him between the twenties and James Conner keeps that really highly valuable role inside the 20, inside the 10 yard line. But let's say Chase Edmonds comes back and doesn't look great or doesn't come back at all. Then, not just this weekend, the week after that, having James Conner get 22 touches, 19 touches versus, I don't know, 12 is such a drastic difference for what the projection and what your lineup could be in the first or second round of your fantasy playoffs. Unless the reports were awesome this week, even if Chase Edmonds is healthy, I think you have to play James Conner. This could be a situation where like Aaron Jones last week where he came back. Yeah, he was active, but he played like 40% of the snaps. And if that's the case, you definitely want James Conner. This team just runs so many plays. Like it's this offense was just meant to score fantasy points, except we'll talk about the wide receivers. Very yeah. concerning usage there. But the James Conner stuff is just amazing. I mean, surely if, if Chase Edmonds is out there and available in your league, go and get him. I mean, that's an offense that you want pieces of, especially in the rushing attack. Again, I know we are hedging a little bit on how perfect health-wise he might be compared to what he was, but still, that's an offense that like is of the top five, top six overall scoring points the rest of the way, we believe. All right, let's jump now to the Denver Broncos. Everyone waited for it, and Javante Williams arrived with Melvin Gordon sidelined, 23 carries for 102 yards, nine catches, for 76 yards and a score. I, I will throw out there. Some of those receiving stats are a bit fluky. Caught one right before the end of the first half that was giving plenty of ground and then just walked into the tunnel for halftime. And then some of also was like in the final minute or two when they were way, way down on the scoreboard. But Hayden overall with Javante Williams, getting him on the edge one-on-one -on -one with like zone read stuff or just outside runs and asking a corner or an extended linebacker who's like, trying to reach and get him with arm tackles, it's over. Like he's breaking that and then he's picking up invisible yards on final contact. Like few have we've seen like over the last few years as high the optimism and hopes were for Javante Williams in his first start. He matched them totally. Oh yeah. He totally smashed, smashed uh, 23 expected half PPR points played almost all the snaps because Mike Boone is the RB three because of special teams, not because he's a running back. So it just comes down to what's Melvin Gordon's health and how bullish are you when Melvin Gordon comes back? Is Are they just going to say, okay, the Javante Williams, now you're the 55% in the committee, or is it Javante Williams, it's 75%, let's see what he's got. Or is it going to be Melvin Gordon, he's the starter, he's the veteran, he's had a good season, he's coming back. But we know the answer now, clearly. Even when the Broncos didn't score many points, he was an RB1. So the usage is there, the film's there, the metrics are there, everything that you can want 
he has it. It just all kind of depends on what Melvin Gordon's situation is. So we'll learn more on the preview show, but long-term, like, I mean, he looks ridiculous. I moved him up my sophomores and juniors rankings for the, the tournament. I have him as my RB2. I know the 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 very intelligent Eric Bimefor suggested he might be the 102 in fantasy drafts this summer, which is taking it up a few notches. Uh, I think we're all excited of what could happen here with Javante Williams. But again, Denver does things, you know, differently than some other teams, right? And so to me, if they're six and six right now, if they're still in the playoff hunt, why switch things that got them to wins early on the season, especially when the passing game isn't working nearly as well? And that basically 50-50 committee with Melvin Gordon was a major part of that. Now, does that mean then that Javante gets the start? And Melvin is the one who comes in and like gets the secondary work still about equal. That's possible. I don't know if you can like put the special sauce back in the bottle after this, but just from like a wins loss and organizational standpoint, they're not fully on to 2022 yet. There's still a lot to accomplish for them. I think in 2021, I would guess this goes immediately back to a committee. If when Melvin Gordon's back, assuming he's like actually back, like not like this, like he's active, but he's not really healthy. Like if he's truly healthy, I think it's going to be a committee, but we know, we know what the upside is. We talked about Javante's vision as an area in the first few weeks of the year where that could improve. I only have stills for this. I didn't clip a, an actual play from it, but as you can see, like there's complete interior disruption. It's a basically a lead play with the tight end working to the backside and immediately it's a wide, wide open hole, but Javante Williams recognized it instead of, you know, running into the trash, Boom, he gets the second level and takes advantage of while, again, it looks like there is disruption, really there is an alley and a hole to get to. And so this is exactly what you want to see. It's not just on the outside edge stuff versus, you know, Tyron Matthew, who had a great catch against or corners and safeties trying to tackle him, which is an impossible task. It's it's between the tackles work. It's a legit running back stuff. It's so good. It's so beautiful. All right. Talk about David Montgomery. Running back for Chicago Bears just in case you haven't watched them over the last few weeks. I don't blame you. Uh, 21 carries for 90 yards, a crazy nine targets for eight catches and 51 yards. What do you have to say about David Montgomery here today? He's climbed up to RB12 fantasy over the last month. He had a season high 26.3 expected half PPR points. That was despite trailing the entire game. We talked about this on the recap show. They simply just said, we're just going to run the ball over and over and over and over again. And it didn't matter what the situation was. And they were I mean, just a total nonsense game. It's not helping the Bears at all, but it's helping David Montgomery uh, and his box scores. He's still a full-blown Belka back. We've completely forgot about Khalil Herbert because they don't even use him. And David Montgomery is good enough at the game. I think that he's, at worst, like an upside RB2 right now. I thought he was better than good enough at the game. I, you know, he missed a while with his injuries and... We get really excited for Cleo Herbert as we should have been because he played really well. But I thought this game showed that David Montgomery has juice left. Like he yeah. was taking creases and picking up chunk gains. He had his strength back here against Isaiah Simmons, who you know is a starting linebacker for the Cardinals, and throwing him to the ground. Again, as a whole, that offense absolutely stunk, and it was Andy Dalton's fault. I mean, just wide open misses, especially early on, and then that drop by Cole Komet that ended in an interception, whatever. But David Montgomery at least showed that if a crease is there, if a seam is there and we know he's going to get the volume, it still fits in the, Hey, we still need to play him because the talent matches that too. It's different than just like a volume game, hoping for touchdowns. Like I think the yardage totals can be there too. Yeah. He's the back that you drafted him to be in like round four. He's exactly that right now. 
Right. Just the offense is so much worse. Like bottom five and projected points every single week. Stunning. Stunning stuff from, you know, quarterback guru, Matt Nagy. All right. Josh Jacobs time. Also someone crazy nine targets for nine catches and 38 yards. Yes, to go along with 13 carries for 52 yards and a score. You and I have talked about it. The difference in the Raiders offense from the last few weeks is, is staggering. I think they've lost four or five, seven of eight, something like that. Uh, Derek Carr is no longer, you know, bombing it down the field, spamming that area. And I guess Josh Jacobs is the one who's benefiting it from it because we've talked for years that he has like the receiving chops and just never has been utilized in the area. We didn't think it was possible because of Kenny and Drake, but Kenny and Drake hurt. And here we go. Nine targets for Josh Jacobs. He's close to low end RB one. Really? I mean, he's RB 13 in fantasy usage, RB 15 over the last month and half PPR. The last two games, 19.9 and 17.6 expected half PPR points based off of his usage. Kenyon Drake is out for the year. I think we'll have to watch for who their backup running back is. I know Jalen Burchard has been in and out of the lineup, um, but if it's just going to be Josh Jacobs in this bell cow role, I don't see why not. This, this offense is still functional. It's no longer good. It's at least functional. And he's got the, the workload that we want. We know that this offense historically has been pretty balanced. And I think Josh Jacobs is, is at least good enough. So um, I think for right now, top 15 ish running back, depending on the matchup. So hold your nose and look away play. That's what Josh Jacobs is. Uh, maybe Devontae Freeman fits there too. 14 cares for 52 yards, eight targets. Again, surprising. Five catches, 45 yards. He seems to be the relied on player for the Ravens in their backfield after they've played musical chairs there all season long. The issue with that is like the Raiders are not a run first team. Their rushing success this year, other than Lamar, has been like putrid. Um, while Devontae can make one person miss every single week, like this is not the Ravens backfield that we fell in love with, you know, in 2020 and 2019. There was a slight difference between the week 12 and week 13 usage for Devonta Freeman. He actually started this game. That was not the case the week previous and his snaps went way up. He ended up having a season high 17.8 expected half PPR points. Um, he is trending up like this is more of like the, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards type of player that we were hoping we would get from this backfield. Um, he's not nearly as good as those two, but I mean, he's at least in the top 24 mix. And that was not the case for a Ravens running back for a long time. But this is like finally they've committed to Devonta Freeman um, as their starting running back. All right. Cowboys time. I know everyone's excited for this one. So. We know this past week, Thursday night football against the New Orleans Saints. 13 carries for 45 yards for Ezekiel Elliott. Tony Pollard, seven carries for 71 yards. And really that game-changing, long, long touchdown run. Um, we outlined this in the Sunday show. I really believe that the early season discourse around Ezekiel Elliott being like a net negative or worse than Tony Pollard was exhausting. He was good. Ezekiel Elliott was. He was creating things between the tackles, which is not where Tony Pollard shines at all. Um, his pass protection, as we have outlined, is pivotal pivotal for the downfield plays that the Cowboys run. But now with the bruised knee, anytime he pulls away from the offensive line or the defensive line, he hobbles and it's like not worth playing him to the extent that the Cowboys are at the moment. It's very different than it was early on the season, but we have to look at what is ahead of us in week 14. I highly doubt that Tony Pollard gets a start. I'm sure you would say the same thing, but 
I'm leaning more towards Tony Pollard being the effective one here each and every week, more so than Ezekiel Elliott right now. So the the only counter that I have, completely agree with everything you said, would be this is not back-to-back Thursday night games. Now we have 10 days off for Zeke, so maybe that's enough to get him a little healthier. But the splits are drastic with Zeke Elliott. Um, before the bye week, and that's kind of around the time when his knee was originally injured, he was averaging 16 expected half PPR points. That's like classic RB1 numbers. Since then, though, and it's like, like a sample of like six weeks, the Cowboys offense hasn't been as good. His knee's been bothering him, and that's dropped down to 12.5, which is like over the last month, that's RB18 fantasy usage. So even if we think he's a little bit healthier, he's still more of an RB2 than an RB1. Um, and if he actually sat a week, that actually might be better for your fantasy team. Get him healthy. So then for the fantasy playoffs, you can like comfortably start him. So uh, we'll follow the news. I think that the Cowboys are super adamant in letting him play. Yeah. I think that Zeke's very passionate about p- playing through injuries. Like he, I mean, he just never misses time really. Um, so I think he's tr- going to try to get it out there. He's more of an RB2 for now. Um, and we're just one little tweak away from, uh, RB1 Tony Pollard season. Yeah. They have the Washington football team here this weekend. Uh, this play might look familiar to those who watch Monday Night Football when we get the Patriots backfield here in a moment. Little crack toss action, and boom, there's a seam, and Tony Pollard just takes it. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we are not going to get out of Jerry Jones and this coaching staff of like, yeah, we're shifting over our starting running back to Tony Pollard. Like, that is not words that's going to happen. So, again, it's going to be a like in-game faith that we just have in Tony Pollard having like the one explosive play that he might need to break out before he gets, you know, more work in that singular game than he's got. Cause I, I mean, again, the odds are every single week that Zeke is going to get more volume, but then I would rely on the explosivity of what, what TP brings to the table. Yeah. And real quick with, with Pollard over the last month, there's been the worst uh, stretch of Zeke's, like career for like, I mean, probably for the for his career, uh, Tony Pollard's still only the RB twenty seven and half EPR points per game on yeah. RB thirty six usage. That includes that massive touchdown run. So like, still even with all of this stuff, like Tony Pollard for the most part is a bench hold, not somebody you're starting unless the news changes. Patriots backfield time. Oh, it's our favorite. First of all, can we start with like just a big picture? conversation on that game because a lot of people there's the discourse around that Monday night football game between the Patriots and the bills has been awful to me. I enjoyed it Hayden because I enjoy seeing moments that break the monotony of a season. You know, this we, we, we watch all these games each and every week and that game where one side threw the ball just three times and especially where they, you know, got stuffed on the run, the Patriots a lot early on, a lot early on, but they found one play that worked so well for them. They're blocking versus deficiencies of the bills. And it was G lead and they spammed it four times in a row. And that's the type of stuff. Sometimes to the right, sometimes to the left four straight plays. Again, those are the, the little singular moments that we don't see throughout the rest of an 18 game season. And so I don't want to make sweeping conclusions on either side, but with how the weather was lining up and how well the Patriots were doing in their specialized strengths, it was always going to go in their favor. And in fact, the scoreboard probably shouldn't have been as close because the Bills were gifted seven points on that muff punt. My biggest takeaway was just the Patriots defense. It wasn't the Patriots offense. Like 
it was a cool game plan, very memorable. I'm glad it happened. But it wasn't like the Bills' defense was all of a sudden shitty or something like that. Like, they held their own. Like, they gave up, what, 14 points? Like, yeah. everyone's freaking out. Like, I, I hated that question that that reporter asked uh, their safeties. Like, are you embarrassed over this performance? Like, I'd be like, we gave up 14 points. Like, what do you want What do you want us to do? Like, we they averaged, like, four yards per play. So, um, I didn't really learn too much about this game. Um, obviously, just a super unique game. Ramondre balled out. The offensive line for the Patriots was phenomenal. I don't think this is an indictment. On Mac Jones, this was clearly just the blueprint that Bill Belichick wanted to go with. And I don't think that we can take too much out of this, except that um, the Patriots defense is just amazing this year. And they're doing this without a lot of star players. I think that's just been kind of the interesting part. Like They, they have star players, but not like name brand players like Judon, Hightower, um, and a lot of other like depth pieces. But yeah, I, there's nothing you can really take away from that game, really. Okay, well, let's dive into the two running backs and, and just the carries and the usage. So Ramondre Stevenson had 24 carries for 78 yards. Damien Harris, 10 carries for 111 yards and a score. At one point, he tweaked his hamstring, and you saw it in the first of those four G leads. It was like a wide-open alley that he maybe could have had another long touchdown, but as soon as he broke through the hole, pulled up, and then just trotted out of bounds. Um, first, let's start with Ramondre if you want to, because, again, 24 carries, easily the most of this season. Everyone got really excited and for good reason, because he looked awesome. He's a big back with balance. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, I, I think that if Damian Harris, it's a hamstring injury. That doesn't sound good to me. If it's going to be Harris out, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson's at least an upside RB two. Like their identity is clearly to run the ball. And Ramondre has like obvious talent. And yeah, I don't think that they like, Belichick fully trusted him. Like we got to, we got to remember the first two drives. It was Damian Harris, and like there was at one point where uh, Ramondre is going into the huddle, and then Belichick pulled him out. Yeah, but if you remove Damian from from the picture, Ramondre is like he's the next guy up, and the, this offense is kicking ass uh, on the ground, and they're going to be playing in neutral and positive game scripts because of that defense. So yeah, he's he's balling out, and it's pretty cool to see. Very interesting offense. Couple things. Shout out to Nikhil Harry, a crack toss specialist. He is like an extra offensive tackle out there. Uh, your point about Damian Harris going in for that second series, because that was very different than what we had seen the last two games when they were basically splitting series and then Brandon Bolden would go in there for pass catching situations. Mike Reese, who's a great beat writer for the Patriots, even said, as you just did, that Ramondre is out there in the huddle, and then right before TV cameras came back and right before the snap, or they were about to break the huddle, Damian replaced him in the backfield. Uh, they have 11 days until their next game, which is much different because then this Sunday, the Bills go on over to Tampa Bay. Um, they also play the Buffalo Bills here in a couple weeks and have their whole passing attack from that portfolio they want to, to go into. But I'm I'm with you. Like Both of these backs, we're not going to get this environment where they you know combine for 34 carries, but Again, it's another one where this is the strength. They can lean into it. And I just love that we got a huge explosive play out of out of Damian Harris because I've been waiting for it, man. This was going to be a massive Damian yes. Harris game if, if he it stayed was. healthy. It was. Hopefully we get some good news on, on that hamstring. I mean, he was around the team in the post game and on the sideline and, and all that kind of stuff. All right. Another huge conversation here to have is with the Los Angeles Rams. Because Daryl Henderson missed this past weekend against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, Sony Michelle steps in, goes 24 carries 
for 121 yards and a touchdown. And on top of that, gets three catches. You know, I hate patting myself on the back, Hayden. I never do it. I never do it. But what we saw highlighted what we had talked about. One, if Sonny Michelle was on your waiver wire, which he was for a lot of people, the last two weeks, you should have picked him up. And two, this is backfield production, not singular player production. Like if you look at this chart, and I think it's a great one from Ben Baldwin, look at the differences on the right between CEH and, and Daryl Williams. You know, the blocking and the success of it is very similar, but the production is different. And that's singular talents. You can look at other, you know, Javante Williams versus Melvin Gordon. They're neck and neck. AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones on the left-hand side. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, they're also close. But basically on top of each other, it's Sony Michelle and and Daryl Henderson. There's more I want to say here, but before I keep going, what did you want to chime in and say after watching Sony Michelle's performance this weekend? Because it was quite different than what we've seen from Daryl Henderson. Yeah, I think that Daryl Henderson, like the last month or two, has not looked as good, probably because he's on the smaller side and some of those injuries probably creeping up. I don't think that Sony Michelle is all of a sudden some elite player. But um, after the game, there was like some really interesting comments from Sean, Sean McVay about Sony Michelle and basically how he wants to keep Sony Michelle involved, whether or not Daryl Henderson is back. So I think the first step is what is Daryl Henderson's injury? I think they play on Monday night football this week, which I really do hate because I think it's going to be an up in the air situation. Um, but I think that this could be an, an, an injury that lasts another week. I don't think that he was even close to actually being able to play last week. And Sony Michelle is going to be a workhorse if Darrell Henderson's out. But I think even if Daryl Henderson comes back, I don't think that it's going to be Daryl Henderson as the RB one. I think at best it's going to be a committee and I can see why the Rams traded for Sony Michelle because of this exact situation. They give him the rock. He looks explosive for a little bit and then he can't hold up. And that's exactly what's happened. I think that's Sony Michelle is kind of here, here to stay for the next couple of weeks. All right, let's take it from the perspective of Daryl Henderson returns and is healthy, okay? Because at some point, that is going to happen. Yep. Number one, we believe it's going to be a committee back. I do believe, though, it's in the realm of possibility, and you might call me crazy based on you know, the production that Daryl Henderson has, that Sony Michelle becomes the starting running back of that group. And let me outline that reasoning and that possibility. Everyone knows in the last few weeks, the Rams offense has become a bit stale and what they did to open this game against the Jaguars from a narrative standpoint, even they opened with heavy personnel, an extra offensive lineman, two tight ends. They truly wanted to establish the run to get going offensively, you know, to change it up. They were confident in doing that with Sony Michelle. They had not done that so far with Daryl Henderson. So, his ability to win on contact to me and Sonny Michelle is like maybe a spark that Sean McVay wants. His breakaway ability, his chunk gains of 20 plus yards is not going to be anywhere close to what Daryl Henderson brings to the table. But if Sean McVay thinks, hey, I can get my chunk plays with my arm, with Cooper Cup, with Van Jefferson, with Odell Beckham, and I want something that is consistent, that is stable, and that's the running game. With Sony Michelle, to me, that is a pathway and a possibility that we could get here as we close out with the Rams. Yeah, the end of the Sean McVay quote says, it will be good to continue to get Sony going, get him into a rhythm and play the way that he played yesterday while also utilizing Daryl 
if he's available this week or not. So that's a this week or not for Daryl. And uh, it's also utilizing Darrell Henderson, not u- like utilizing. It's It seems like to me it's going to be Sony, then Henderson for the rest of the year. If I had just want to pick one of the two backs and for fantasy purposes, I want Sony Michelle, not Daryl Henderson. Yeah. Anyone can run into a light box and pick up yards that are blocked for them. And the Rams can create light boxes out there, but the back that can, you know, turn on contact two yards beyond the line of scrimmage and turn that into a third and one instead of a third and five, that's more likely going to be Sony Michelle. Again, there's a big difference. And I understand a lot of people out there are going to ask why, because Daryl Henderson, we've seen him reel off 20, 25, 30 yard gains. And that's just not Sony's game. I really think it's like the pedaling, like the rhythm yep. that this offense gets into and just being able to move the change and not going three and out or six and out and so on and so forth. And maybe in Sean McVay's mind, he believes that, you know, Sony Michelle is the avenue to do that more so than Daryl Henderson. Last note I had on this was for Best Ball Mania 2, there was a big chunk of that, the draft season, where he was not being drafted. When he was like the RB3 or RB4 for the Patriots, he was his ADP was the very last round. This could be a situation where he is going to be ranked inside the top 10 in rankings down the stretch. And he was drafted only like half the best ball team. So uh, really elite play. If you have Sony Michelle teams going into the playoffs right now, uh, really like where you're at. Yeah, shout out to QB's MVP on Twitter. Did some awesome work on Daryl Henderson versus Sony Michelle. And yeah, what Sean McVay, because he had been doing kind of the same things and everyone had pointed out in columns that in the second half of seasons, he has a difficult time to reinvent himself. And maybe I'm walking too far down narrative street here, but maybe the reinvention is going out with more six offensive linemen or jumbo packages and getting this going and then creating in the air explosive place. But I'm into it. And that can totally flip on its head here in week 14, like we just saw it did in week 13 versus week 12. But hey, that's the NFL. Okay, a few more running backs that we want to rifle through before we move on to wide receivers. Saquon Barkley, 11 carries for 55 yards, six catches. Giants offense is abysmal. Mike Lennon was out there instead of Daniel Jones. Anything to say there, Hate? It sounds like the starting quarterback is going to be Jake Fromm with a concussion for Glennon and is a neck really? injury. Yeah, Daniel Jones might be out for the year, possibly. They're doing more tests on his neck. Glennon concussion protocol. It looks like it's going to be Jake Fromm. Um, Saquon Barkley last month, RB24 usage, RB35 production. So the usage is going up. It's gone from 8.6 to 11.4 to 14.6 expected half PPR points. But man, I mean, the offensive line's bad. They're going to score like 16 points a game. Like, (laughs) I mean, he's like what a low end RB2 right now. It sucks, but that's the way it is. James Robinson was questionable all week heading into that game against the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, He did start that game, had an early fumble. We know a couple weeks ago when that happened, he set out for 18 plays in this game. And by the way, when that happened, Urban Meyer was like, oh, I didn't know he was being sidelined. I'll look into that next time. Well, what does he know? He, he never one, knows anything. Once again, he was benched after a fumble in this game for 13 or, or 14 snaps and was only reinserted basically until Carlos Hyde also let out a fumble. So James Robinson, every team kind of has like a representative who goes out and does like local radio spots. James Robinson apparently is that for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if any of you have seen this clip, it's absolutely wild, as John Shipley puts it, because the game was a complete blowout. 
The Jaguars got absolutely stomped. Again, James Robinson entered that game far, far less than 100% and has objectively been their best offensive player all season long, yet he is in there for the final four carries of the game while injured. Like, what is Urban Meyer and this coaching staff doing? He was asked about it in this interview, and he's like, you know, I don't even look at the clock, but now that you told me that, that's absolutely crazy that I was doing that. It is nuts. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Uh, last month, RB26 usage, RB26 production, and last week, because of that fumble and the injury and all, whatever you want to call it, season low, 6.9 expected half PPR points. So, I don't know. He's more of a, a desperate flex than anything else right now until we get confirmation that he's the, the bell cow again. I mean, they're they're literally trying to use Carlos Hyde right now. This is crazy. Yeah. Well, just the complete ineptitude of man management on that team. It's It's brutal. It's so bad in every single area. I simply do not know how you use the guy who probably showed up 70% on game day to run out the clock at the end of the game. Just stupid, stupid stuff. And then Meyer takes no responsibility for it. He's like, he acts like he doesn't even happen or like he didn't know it was happening. Do you have everyone who's watching from home could see it? I mean, ineptitude, brutal stuff. All right. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt back in our lives, the tandem coming off their bye week uh, just before we had seen what Nick Chubb had done. But Kareem Hunt returned seven carries for 20 yards in that loss to the Ravens. What do you want to say about this duo? Because the Browns are in such like a tailspin that it gets, I'm not going to say it gets difficult to get excited about them because they're still one of the best pairings, if not the best pairing in the NFL. But if the Browns are going to lose, that pair ceiling is going to be far, far lower. Yeah, definitely. That was my main point. When uh, Kareem Hunt came back, it was like, kind of a basically 50-50 workload again. That was before the bye. We have to assume Kareem Hunt is fully ready to go. So you're splitting the backfield in half. And what you're splitting in half is a team projected to score like 20 points a game, not like 26 points a game, like a bad 20 points per game. So Nick Chubb, more of an RB2, sadly. I'm one of the biggest Nick Chubb supporters out there. I think that the full Chubb, it's like like a five-incher. It's nothing crazy. All right. So glad we got you on the show. Clyde Edwards, Elair, 14 carries for 54 yards, three catches for 28. Again, the graph, is that what the nerds call it? That I showed from Ben Baldwin shows the difference in the rushing success of what CEH and Daryl Williams put out there on the field. This team as run blockers are freaking outstanding. The issue is that this weekend, Hayden, they face the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that Patrick Mahomes just a few weeks ago, because they stay in cover one, mostly, put up 50 passing attempts, 400 yards, and five touchdowns. So maybe that will diminish the possible floor of these other teams that put up two highs and ask you to run on them. Yeah, I, th- I think it's very clear that Clyde edwards is going to be the better runner. I think he's going to have a couple games down the stretch where he scores a touchdown or two. Uh, unfortunately, it was Daryl Williams who was playing most of the passing down situations, which you just mm. don't like to see. But yeah, CH, he's more of like a flex play than an upside RB2 um, for now. It's, it's more of a committee. And I was very disappointed in that because this was coming off the bye week. I thought that he would have like a, a big improvement in his workload. Just wasn't the case. Tevin Coleman is now the lead ball carrier for the Jets. It's not nearly as exciting. It doesn't roll off quite the tongue as like Michael Carter did a couple weeks ago. But Tevin Coleman got 11 carries for 58 yards, also three catches. We'll say a few looked, you know, 
there's some speed in those old legs, but I don't know how much we want to spend on this show with Tevin Coleman. 10.9, 15.5 expected half PPR points really? in the last two games. So, I mean, he's going to be below average according to the model just because of the workload environment, but he's there. He's getting usage. He's a starter. He's getting the goal line opportunities. So uh, there's a couple of plays like back to back where Zach Wilson like try to sneak it at the goal line and Tevin Coleman was in there. So like if they decide right. to hand the ball off, there's at least a path there. All right, let's close with the mess that is the Panthers backfield. So things have changed. One, they're coming off a bye week. Two, Christian McCaffrey's on IR. Three, Chuba Hubbard was the lead ball carrier in the past. But with Joe Brady as the play caller, Amir Abdullah was getting more and more work, and especially in situations that were obvious passing downs because he was kind of the angle route insurance for CMC, which was a staple of this team thanks to Christian McCaffrey. More things have changed since then. Halfway through the bye week, offensive coordinator Joe Brady is fired, and now we get a new OC who is best buddy since high school and college with Matt Rule, um, a guy who's the OC with him at Baylor. And Baylor wasn't, you know, your typical four or five spread wide receiver team when he was there. So get that out of your mind, like the Corey Coleman days. Get that out there. Instead, what we have also heard from Matt Rule and then echoed by Joe Brady before he was fired was that all he wants to do is play defense and run the ball 30 to 35 times. Maybe that was the reason why Brady was let go. And if that's the case, Chuba has the profile to do it. But man, this team just sucks. Their offensive line sucks. And they're going to be a negative game script. And it's going to be difficult to run the ball when you're down by 10 up the gut over and over when your offensive line sucks too. To me, it's very obvious that Joe Brady wanted to pass the ball and Matt Rule wants to run the ball. And that's why he hired his buddy or promoted his buddy. So I think it's going to be the Chuba Hubbard show between the tackles. It's going to be very inefficient and you're not even promised the goal line opportunities because they have Cam Newton in the backfield. So it's still very low floor, low ceiling situation for Chuba Hubbard. But this week at home, three point favorites against the Falcons. Like if it's between Chuba Hubbard or Amir Abdullah for this week, I'm ranking Chuba Hubbard uh, ahead of them. They're three point favorites. I believe so. I'm going to pull this up right now just to make sure not to, you know, discredit your, what you say here, but I just cannot believe the Panthers are, our three-point favorites, they are. Holy cow. I Okay, on paper, understand. We'll get to this in the preview show. But like, because the Falcons can't stop anyone. It's Grady Jarrett and no one else in that defense. And yeah, if we're going to find out what the blueprint wants to be in a game where they obviously are home favorites. But again, I, I also think the, the point of Cam Newton being the short yardage back is taking and sapping a lot of the, the possibilities, high-end possibilities that we got from Chuba Hubbard early this season because there were games where he got you know 20 21 23 carries so i I think he's going to get at least like 15 touches i think they're going to be very inefficient and you're not promised the goal line stuff so i'm going to be probably ranking him in the 20s among the running backs i don't think i'm going to rake amir abdul as a top 30 guy yeah now my other point is matt rule is heavily involved in the personnel decisions too so i think him he would have a say in bringing in Amir Abdullah over like the Royce Freemans that we saw for a bit or the Rodney Smiths that we saw for a bit. So I do wonder if he wants to get a look at Amir Abdullah. But again, just from a profile standpoint and what we have heard just between the tackles running, it does sound like Chuba is the uh, is the preferred player there. God, this, this is seems, so stupid. 
this team stinks, man. Matt Rule's on my radar. And like this is the perfect situation to see what you have in Chuba Hubbard. Like, you don't need to see what you have in Amir Abdullah. Like, we've all seen that before. Like, this is a great week to see know. if they've got we, something with Chuba Hubbard. I feel like we've seen what we have in Chuba Hubbard, and he's like an Yeah, but we've really talent. seen we've really seen the Amir Abdullah stuff. Like, we've yeah. really seen that enough already. Again, Matt Rule, not an offensive play caller, not a defensive play caller. Not special teams coordinator, not general manager, kind of is. Uh, and he doesn't even know the situational football stuff either. So all of that is on the radar. All of it could be a very interesting offseason ahead. All right. Before we move on to water receivers, thank you all for being here. We always spend so much time on running backs. Like and subscribe down below. You love our Tuesday shows, and we love you for being here, Shirley and Chris and Scampers and David. Check us out on Thursdays, game by game preview show ahead of week 14, pivotal time of the NFL and the fantasy football calendar. And yes, two shows on Sunday. That's our 10 a.m. start sit show. We take your calls. We answer your questions. We preview matchups and pick them lines. And then also after the games, we have them wrapped up around 730 instant reactions slash power rankings show. All right. Some really good stuff among the wide receivers to get to Hayden. And let's go there. Let's start off with what's happening with the Minnesota Vikings. Justin Jefferson, we know is a phenom. 14 targets, 11 catches, 182 yards, and a touchdown. Adam Thielen, though, on the first drive of the game, goes out there, and I believe I saw him whispering to people on the sideline, high ankle sprain. Um, however, Courtney Cronin, Cronin, who's a beat writer for the team, points out that he has not been put on IR Maybe that's an indication that he'll be back before the end of the season. That's good. In his absence, we saw KJ Osborne graduate from the slot, replay 22 snaps, and play 47 snaps out wide. It's a good offense, passing-wise. So does that pique your interest here with the name of KJ Osborne? It certainly does. I'm on team fantasy usage matters, and the Vikings are sixth with wide receiver fantasy usage, and... The thing that we really liked, and this was one of our big offseason storylines, was two wide receiver sets are more efficient than three wide receiver sets. And this Vikings team uses a fullback, CJ Ham. They use a second tight end occasionally, and they love this play action stuff where KJ Osborne has more time to get open. So I, I want to sell like the KJ Osborne's really good at the game or anything like that. But the usage, I promise, is going to be there. He did not come off the field very often in that last game. And Kirk Cousins, like, I know he has some boneheaded plays, but even last week in the loss, some of these throws, like, super accurate, like, down the field stuff. And there's just a beautiful offense to be a part of. And you already listed the Vikings injuries on defense. Like, it's not a good defense. They can be in shootouts. So I think yeah. that KJ Osborne, I will have as a top 36 wide receiver, not going to think twice about it. DD Westbrook is now the player who stepped into the slot for them. Uh, Connor brings up. A good point is Tyler Conklin a good tight end now. Yes, that's exactly where my jump my mind jumps to. To me, this bumps him up immediately into the top ten conversation, not the top eight conversation. He is a featured part of this offense, not just on tight end screens, not just you know on play action. It's in the red zone. He was like a toenail away from another touchdown in this game too. Yet Tyler Conklin is absolutely for a awful awful position that tight end is a top eight player at the position for me. Yep, I'm totally with you. Over the last month, this wasn't even just last week, over the last month, he's sixth in usage 
and he's the tight end eight in half PPR points per game. And like for those same reasons, using the fullback, using that second tight end, there's a lot of times where it's just him, Osborne, and Jefferson, the only people in the route. And this is a very efficient passing offense. And I think that he is more than good enough that I pulled a stat from Sports Info Solution. Uh, he is the tight end three in yards per route run when he's detached from the offensive line. When he's not an inline tight end, which he can do. When he's in the slot out wide from the backfield, tight end three out of all the tight ends in yards per route run. He's a good athlete. Like you said, that touchdown that he almost got his feet in, that was an insane grab. That is not your average grab. Uh, they throw him like quick outs and he can catch the ball and get up field. I think DFS check, uh, pick him lobby check, waiver wire, pick him up top 10 guy. I haven't looked at the matchups, but Tyler Conklin's always been somebody who's fit the mold of a big time breakout because he can be in line. He can go up, win on the slot and the offense, even though Kirk cousins has a couple weird plays is still very good. Right. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings all season long had been in 11 personnel 45% of the time. This past weekend, when Adam Thielen went out, they had two wide receivers in the field 48% of the time. So there is a possibility where they go two tight ends and have Conklin as kind of like the de facto slot wide receiver yes. if they don't trust D.D. Westbrook as much. And that would get me even more into the Conklin usage. All right. I, I didn't think DD had a good game last week. That was like the one th- thing I took away from it too. And again, Justin Jefferson is number three in targets over the last three weeks. I this mean, guy. we could go the absolute moon here because no one's covering him. Like everyone knows what, it's getting to Devonte Adams territory with yeah. how separation is created for him. No matter, no matter the attention that he's garnering. There was like immediately after Monday night football, you start seeing the pick and lobby on underdog fantasy. Uh, immediately it, it came up like Justin Jefferson's over under was like 85 yards is like check. So yeah, we're that we're going to pump that thing. That needs to be like near triple digits. Not even joking. Like when he's starting, he's averaging like a hundred yards over his entire career. Now Thielen's gone. Like, I mean, this guy's going to absolutely smash. He's so good. I think I also promised someone that when we get to 10,000 subs, I have to do the gritty and film it. Didn't I yeah, do that you on did. Twitter? <laughs> yeah, you did do that. That was a, that was a moment of madness I had. So yes, you can do your part, subscribe to the channel and, We'll get a video of me doing the gritty somewhere. All right. That was my that was my best tweet. The Brian Kelly doing the gritty tweet. Even Alvin Kamara, promo code Alvin, he <laughs> quote tweeted it and he was laughing. I had so many laughing about that. Was I was very proud of myself. That was good stuff. Yeah. Shout Congrats. out. Man. Congrats. Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers time. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. Let's start with DJ first. 11 targets, eight receptions, 105 yards and two scores. Yes, two scores for Deontay Johnson. Chase Claypool, just two receptions for 52 yards on three targets. Um, what's crazy about Deontay is like his first important play wasn't with until like a minute left in the second quarter. This is basically an entire second half effort. He had a super slick screen in the third quarter, two more yards after catch plays where he broke a tackle for chunk gains. Ben Roethlisberger diminishes the ceiling of this offense, but we absolutely know that Deontay is the type of wide receiver that can succeed with him and is going to succeed with ever with, any quarterback that is going to go on beyond Ben Roethlisberger beyond this season. He's just way better this year. It's just simple as that. Like a lot of the stuff that he was struggling with, like drops a little bit of winning downfield, those things just gotten way better at. And so, yeah, number two in usage only behind Justin Jefferson, those two face each other on Thursday night football. It should be uh, an awesome game for those two for fantasy purposes. Chase Claypool can still make plays. He just missed um, a couple uh, big plays down the field. He's still, top 24 uh, usage 
over the last month. I know it's super painful and all that stuff, but um, I still think he's in the wide receiver three mix. Like if he has a hundred yards and a score, I would not be surprised at all. I mean, this stuff, and by the way, the Ravens stretch, look at their schedule to end the season. They are facing almost all the top quarterbacks throughout the league and they're on their four, fifth, six corners. They're going to get absolutely torched. I mean, here on, you know, the two by one on the right side, the two corners think one guy thinks he's going to get passed off. So they both end up covering the same guy and Deontay's just wide open. And yeah, you mentioned the drops. This is actually his first drop this past weekend. It would have been even better. Another touchdown for Deontay as well. So I don't even count that a drop. That was a tough play. Come on guys. All right. Uh, all right. Let's go to the post by rookie bump superstar for the last few weeks in Elijah Moore, 12 targets for six catches and 77 yards. We talked about this on the instant reaction show. Go back and watch that because there are power rankings involved there too if you want to. Um, what we have seen from Elijah Moore this season, so many assumed that because of his size, his best path to production might have been in the slot. This is not slot stuff. At times, short, stacked, or tighter formations. But the way he's winning down the field with Zach Wilson, with Joe Flacco, with Mike White, throw it all out there. Elijah Moore is absolutely making the leap mid first year in the league. He's really good. He's really, good. really, really good. I, I just finished this game. Go ahead. And it could have been even better. I know you're going to get to it. Yes. I mean, a couple notes I had. Uh, he had an elite uh, move right out the line of scrimmage for that touchdown in the red zone. Um, just He basically didn't even get touched. He's still getting the manufactured touches that he's been getting the last couple weeks. Um, but there was a couple moves uh, the double move against Darius Slay uh, on the sideline that Zach Wilson, he was getting hit as he was throwing it. Otherwise, that would have been a long touchdown. Um, he also had this, yes, it's this move right here where he's basically in the pocket of the, the yes, Watch on it. the defender. And the defender keeps going over his left shoulder, then his right shoulder. And then eventually Elijah Moore sits down. The ball was incomplete, not, not like not Elijah Moore's fault. He is just routing up everybody they are not even getting their hands on them and what's cool to see is the jets are using like two wide receiver sets a lot and it's just jameson crowder and elijah moore and that means that elijah moore's got to do a lot of like the kind of like big body stuff and he can handle it right now so i mean he's just i mean he was like a 98th percentile in my model and stuff like i thought his old miss tape was great. I mean, his rookie, his rookie tape has been really, really impressive. Um, and he's up to wide receiver four overall fantasy usage over the last month. And Corey Davis is out for the year. Yeah. A couple of things. I don't want to, you know, besmirch the people that thought he was just a slot receiver. Cause I bet a whole bunch of people in the league thought that. And the thing is he could do that if, if they needed him to, like he could do that. But what he's again, graduated to is being an outside wide receiver that can be moved inside that can win everywhere, you know? And, most importantly, as you have outlined so well heading into this season, and this is mainly a point I want to make about Kadarius Tony when we get to it as well, we need to identify the players, no matter the size or whoever, that are out there in two wide receiver sets. And Elijah Moore is not six feet tall. He's not 200 pounds, I don't think. But he's going to be out there in two wide receiver sets. And we need that for Tony as well. Like The yards per route run matters more when that is on the table, because they're out there running routes on every single passing snap. Yeah. And I think you said this too, but like there was another touchdown, the back right corner of the end zone that just was a poorly thrown ball. I thought 
the Jets offensive line did a really, really good job against some really difficult pass rushers this past weekend. And Zach Wilson, while he made some good throws, some were way off too, and he invited pressure. So while we're seeing, you know, the post by rookie bump for some of the skill position players, like we saw with Michael Carter and Elijah Moore, we need to see that from the quarterback because I haven't seen that yet. Getting a little yeah. better. The rhythm's there a little bit better. This this last game I thought was better. That there was that the really bad Elijah Moore missed touchdown. Um, but I did notice I was looking at the Jets neutral pass rates this year, and when Zach Wilson starting, the Jets are averaging 49% neutral pass rate. And when it's not Zach Wilson, it's 62%. So they're passing them all more when it's not Zach Wilson, which I don't know. Maybe that's an indictment of Zach Wilson, but um, either way, we know Elijah Moore is going to be here for a long time. Like, I don't think there's that big of a drop off between like those first, the consensus first three rookie wide receivers and Elijah Moore, I think he's like that good. I think his reception perception is going to be off the charts. And the last note I had was super frustrating run out for Corey Davis. He's been pretty productive when he's been healthy. He hasn't been healthy. And the freaking Jets classic mismanagement. Corey Davis was DNP, DNP limited. All the reports all week where he's probably not going to play. The groin injury has been acting up. They surprisingly make him active. They He was not playing every single snap, and then they give him this crossing route, and that's when he comes up and tears his groin, undergoes surgery. They rushed him back for no reason. The Jets need Corey Davis. He's like a big part of this offense, and not having him out there for the rest of the Zach Wilson stuff is like classic Jets, and that's why no free agent wants to go there, and I think that's always why the Jets are always well, going to be a bottom... Yeah, I mean, they had to pay him a ton of money, but nobody else wants to go for the Jets. I mean, what what are they doing out there? They at least got the Elijah Moore stuff, but the rest of it is right. just a total joke. Right, again, the Corey Davis injury and being out for the year because of that core muscle surgery means that Elijah Moore is going to be out there all the time, which is great, yeah. which is great. And Crowder. Crowder is not a, a three wide receiver set player. Yeah. Uh, he's in two wide receiver sets. In fact, they bring in like the third guy was like Braxton Berrios, and they were moving James and Crowder outside again. So, yeah, it, Jameson. So it's not Denzel Mims. It's not Keelan Cole. It's none of that stuff. Jameson's back in our life. All right, shout out to the dude who might advance with his best ball team of a five quarterback, eight running back, three wide receiver, two running or two tight end build. And his third wide receiver is Denzel Mims. Shout out so to you, good. dude. Jonathan Taylor season for him. <laughs> Amazing. Chargers time. We had an awesome, awesome Chargers game. Uh, where the Bengals played some single high safety because Jesse Bates kept driving on underneath routes, and that allowed us to get some vertical passes. But let's first start off with Keenan Allen, if you want to. Uh, eight receptions, excuse me, eight targets, five receptions, 34 yards, and two scores. I mean, Justin Herbert was threading the needle. Look at this window. Bam. What? Missile. A triangle of defenders around Keenan Allen who sits, and I guess you can call it a soft spot, and just a rocket ship on this backside left shoulder, exactly where you wanted to put it, away from the linebacker that is trying to reach it, could not have handed it off in a better spot. Justin Herbert was on one on Sunday, and that's why we also got from Mike Williams seven targets, five receptions, and 110 yards. Yeah, I think later tonight I'm going to have a glass of wine. I've not watched the Chargers offense yet. I'm going to treat myself tonight watching this. Um, obviously, the big news, Keenan Allen goes on the COVID list. He is vaccinated that means that he has a chance to play this Sunday if he comes up with two negative tests. He, I would say, 50-50 to play. Um, if 
Keenan is out. I mean, Mike Williams, like I'm going to rank him egregiously high. There's uh, some splits, I believe, so. with Allen out that Mike Williams goes to the absolute moon. It's only like a four game sample, I believe, but it's a it, it's really nice numbers. Yeah. And I mean, he's still the wide receiver 14 per game, not total this year, the wide receiver 14 per game on the season. So, yeah, if, if Keenan's out, I think it's going to be Eckler and Mike Williams go to the moon. Jared Cook becomes like someone you can stream with. And then I think like Josh Palmer fits more of the Keenan role than Jalen Guyton does. And I mean, maybe you can get cube. I think it's probably getting too cute. I think it's just like if Keenan's out, Mike Williams moonshot, Eckler moonshot. And I think Jared Cook would be kind of the one that goes up a little bit. But yeah, if, if Keenan's out, Mike Williams, just feed me. Let's go. For those on YouTube, uh, everyone knows that I like every single week to stop and start one play. Uh, this is it from Justin Herbert. And to me, this is what puts him in that tier of unreal talents. Um, and separates him along with his arm. It's now he is just instantly reaction reacting when the coverage is there that he wants. So you see that Jesse Bates is the single high. As soon as Jesse Bates drives, Justin Herbert is throwing the deep shot. So it's either this over route. I think that's Keenan Allen. If I'm seeing that from afar, it could be Josh Palmer. And then the release and on a total rope here over the right hand shoulder and not behind him at all over top to Mike Williams. We've talked about it multiple weeks that it can be hot and cold. Like Justin Herbert basically university plays well. There's been a couple of games, one or two this year that, you know, he's, he's wanted back. But when we get these games where teams do play single high and they allow, you know, Island coverages on the wide receivers, Herbert's going to take advantage of those. So recognizing those beforehand might be difficult, but recognize the right. Recognizing those beforehand can be like a huge, huge advantage for you and pick them slips or, you know, DFS, anything of the sort. My whole thing with the Chargers, it's their defense is learning how to play this brand new defense that this nobody in this this defense had any experience in this. They're only going to get better. The offense is really young. They can only get better as well. Like to me, this team still has a massive, massive ceiling. And we saw it last week. Darno Mooney. No. So with the Rams first, because I don't want to talk to the Bears. Uh, so we know Cooper Cup puts Andrew Wingard in a blender. It's a weekly thing that happens here on the show. But when you talk about Van Jefferson and Odell Beckham, uh, first, let's call attention to like a rap sheet report who says like Odell's going to get more involved ahead of Sunday. Did you see that tweet? I put it out there. And yeah. Odell had already played 98% of the snaps the week before. So to me, that was like, oh, he's just going to get more volume. Well, if you connect this conversation to what we said about Sony Michelle early on, you know that Cooper Cup was out there for a majority of snaps. And actually, Odell's snap rate dropped from 98 to 53%. Again, that's because of the Jumbo packages, two tight ends, one offensive lineman out there. So we did see a drop in snaps, but we saw a better offense, some more possibilities, and like a vintage Odell Beckham climbed the ladder. And we also need to bring up here Van Jefferson, who I believe played around 73% of the snaps. So eight targets, six receptions, 41 yards, and a score as well. Over the last month, Van Jefferson, wide receiver nine overall fantasy usage, wide receiver 18 per game. Both of those numbers are better than Odell Beckham, even if you remove that first game where Odell was like barely even active. Um, in the two games, Odell has been active fully. 12.5 and 10 expected half PPR points. That's like wide receiver three numbers. 
Van Jefferson may be a little bit ahead of that. And yeah, I think the reason why Odell played fewer snaps, ran fewer routes is because he's not there to play the Robert Woods role. In fact, Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson are kind of splitting that role mm-hmm. and they're using maybe another tight end a little bit more. Um, Odell Beckham's out there to take the ball over the field, deep downfield and win jump balls. He's not there to do any of this other stuff. So. The dirty work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, he's a wide receiver three in fantasy to me. Yeah. I, I am with you in that what you're saying is probably start Van Jefferson over Odell if you had the choice between the two. Because Van is also kind of like a contested catch player where he's the bigger body. Like in this touchdown, it was a two by one third and goal. He was stacked up with Cooper Cup. He took an outside release and cut inside to get that body positioning. And it was tight coverage, but Stafford fires it in there and asks him to win, you know, by shielding the the cornerback underneath him. And then against, I think it was the Packers when he had the long touchdown. Um, that was another one where he just had inside positioning as well. Then catches it, shrugs off the defender, leaves him on the ground, and 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 keeps going with that. Yeah, uh, Jordan Rodriguez, great beat writer. We're big fans of hers, friend of the show. Uh, she talked with Van Jefferson and he apparently had bad games against the 49ers. Another one It's because he was learning some of these new roles. Like you're talking about, he had to take on some of what Robert Woods was doing and it was just difficult. And now that slowed down for him a little bit. And I think he's, I think he's getting there. I think he's getting there. So, all right. Darnell Mooney time. Team's wide receiver one. Talk to me. What do you want to say about Darnell Mooney? Who was in this entire passing game completely left in the dark, thanks to Andy Dalton and Cole Komet. Well, he's still the wide receiver 11 in usage, wide receiver 14 over the last month. I mean, what are you going to do? You got to start him. Found Robinson's not out there. I think Darnell Mooney has to be in your lineup as like an upside wide receiver three. Um, I think that it's better with Andy Dalton. If you had to choose, if you had Darnell Mooney and you were getting to choose the quarterback, You'd rather have Dalton. So if it's Dalton and no Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney has to be in your lineup. Um, for a player and chat, get me, get your answers to me for this. For a player and any player that has played at least nine games this season, is Allen Robinson the biggest disappointment? I mean, he was going as 29th overall in terms of his ADP in the third round ahead of a bunch of, you know, the big names that absolutely exploded. Like I know people can throw in. Calvin Ridley, I don't think that's fair because he's barely played a bunch of others. To me, Allen Robinson is the biggest disappointment in fantasy football this year based on his ADP. Yeah, I would say, yeah, it has to be. Like, DeAndre Hopkins at least has had some upside weeks in round two. Yeah, Antonio Gibson's getting there now. It's, I think it's him. Yeah, or CEH maybe in the early round three, but maybe. You got hurt too. Right, right. All right. Jalen Waddle, and we'll get to, you know, his rookie teammate in Jamar Chase in a little bit, but Jalen Waddle, 11 targets, nine receptions, 90 yards. I have not watched this game, but you talk about consistency. He and Tua are just linked right now with what the offense does well, what Jalen Waddle does well, and they are just accurate passes that he's catching in shorter areas of the field. It's a perfect combination. All the RPO, RPO stuff goes to Jalen Waddle. You can take it to the house. So, um, Wide receiver 12 usage, wide receiver 11 production over the last month. Um, As long as his injury is behind him, I think it was just cramps last week. He's in the lineup. Ravens wide receivers. Um, This Ravens offense is going through some struggles. Like nothing seems easy for them right now. And it's weird because 
for a few weeks there, we saw, you know, Marquise Brown getting receptions close to the line of scrimmage, almost as like pseudo screens and having a lot of room to win after the catch this past week against the Steelers, seven targets, five receptions, 55 yards. One uh, is a lot of pressure and sacks that is on Lamar Jackson and also that he takes uh, Two, they've stopped using Rashad Bateman. We have his name written down here, like. Devin Duvernay and especially Sammy Watkins are playing ahead of him, even though Rashad Bateman was a chain mover. Almost every single one of his catches resulted in the first down earlier this season. Yeah, they've been just getting blitzed to death, and Lamar has not been able to pick it up. The You can probably put some blame on to Greg Roman, and Marquise Brown's his production has certainly dropped. He's still the wide receiver 14 in usage, though, over the last month. So I think Marquise is still in your lineup. Mark Andrews is still in your lineup. Um, but you can't play Rashad Bateman he's splitting snaps I think the the big guy is just the Devin Duvernay touches that's all the manufactured stuff and you cannot we don't like three wide receiver sets there this is a four wide receiver rotation right now so you can't play anybody outside of Marquise and Mark Andrews Bengals wide receivers conversation and I want to spend some time on this because it's flipped it has flipped on its head and our buddy Rich Rebar Lord Reeves does a good boy does a good job of contextualizing it we all remember Jamar Chase and how hot he ran early in the season. Weeks one through seven, a 15-plus yard downfield targets. He was 10 for 17, nearly 60% of catches, and had four touchdowns on 10 of those receptions. And since then, he's one for nine and only 16 yards down the field. He basically has not caught, and he hasn't caught, a 20-plus yard catch since week eight. Meanwhile, T. Higgins as we talked about on this very show, we outlined it was not winning contested situations early on in the year. He was 0 for five in weeks one through seven. And ever since then, Hayden, I'm going to show you a few plays here. He's like hundred percent in contested situations. He's dominating. It has regressed into the strength of his game. And he's basically taken on the Jamar chase mantle nine for 14 since week eight on 15 plus yard targets for 239 yards and two touchdowns. Classic regression. Shout out to math. Shout out to economics. Shout out to fantasy usage model. Yeah, it's like exactly what it is. Um, yeah, he's just not getting as many looks as well for Jamar Chase. So it's not that he's not coming down with the deep targets, which has obviously been a bummer, but he's just not getting as many looks. Uh, he's dropped all the way to wide receiver 38 in fantasy, fantasy usage over the last month. T. Higgins is all the way up to wide receiver 18. Um, I still want, uh, yeah, Jamar Chase over T. Higgins. I think he's just better, but there's no denying that T. Higgins' looks have been a little bit cleaner um, down the field. Uh, but that can flip. I mean, at any second, I think like this is just so much variance. Like the way that the Bengals are playing, it's super boom bust. It's like very run heavy. And then, despite like the Joe Burrow arm strength concerns, downfield shots. Like this team is not dinking and dunking down the field. Like this is like run, 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 deep shot to. Um, our alpha receivers on the outside and they're using T Higgins perfectly with how you want to use them jump ball specialist. And you're not asking him to like break people's ankles, just go up there and throw the ball to him and he can come down with it. Right. And I do think that there are a few things going on here. One Jamar chase was about to be back this weekend in terms of his 20 plus yard catches because he just dropped one. Like he yep. simply dropped one down the field um, here. I'll bring it up here right now that he bobbled and it turned into an interception. This could have been a touchdown. And again, 
everyone that just looks at the box scores and sees the production in their fantasy column would have said, oh, great, I can trust Jamar Chase from here on out. And instead, I believe we got another game where he put up less than than 70 yards. And it's back to back to back to back, whatever, whatever, whatever weeks of that. Um, And as we pointed out in the show, Jamar Chase, when teams do go single high, on some occasions is the one being shaded. And so that's allowing, and the read is just over to T Higgins if we're running two vertical routes on the outside in those figures. So when even coverage is dictating for them to throw down the field, and while sometimes those shots are few and far between for this offense, um, T is the more wide open because this section of the field is has more space to it. So I think those two things are at play. And again, don't overlook the play that should have been of a long Jamar Chase catch and potentially even touchdown that he dropped this past week. Because there's enough time left for this to flip back to what it was. I bet it will. I bet. I mean, would you rather have T. Higgins or Jamar Chase rest of the season? Jamar Chase, no question for me. Yeah, Jamar Chase. Yeah. Um, so we think it will. Uh, last note, Bengals back in the last month, they came out of the bye. They've had three games since then. Down to 28th in neutral pass rate. They're, they run slow, too. It's like bottom five in neutral pace. So there's just not that many throws to go around. So you're rooting that the Bengals defense is bad. Um, otherwise you're taking, it's a pretty small piece of the pie between those three. And you're super reliant on all these downfield throws. So it's, it's super boom bust like T Higgins and Jamar chase are both just going to be super boom bust. And they're both talented enough to make the boat, the make the best of it. But it's not like an offense, like that's breeding fantasy success. Really? This is shocking, but on Sunday, it was Hunter Renfro's first 10-target game of the season. He's had a whole bunch of nine targets, but again, his first 10-target, he turned it to nine receptions for 102 yards, back-to-back 100-yard games from him as well. We've outlined it. The shift in offense from this team since Henry Ruggs is gone, and especially without Darren Waller. Uh, it flows through Hunter Infro in the passing game. And I guess Josh Jacobs, as we said earlier, too. Josh Jacobs, or not Josh Jacobs, uh, Hunter Renfro <laughs> is just better than a lot of like wide receivers that were drafted well ahead of him. Like rest of the season, Tyre Lockett or Hunt, Hunter Renfro. I want Hunter Renfro. Like, I mean, he's averaging 13.3 half PPR points since Ruggs' departure on 11.1 expected half PPR points. For context, both of those are top 24. Like, they can't throw the ball to anybody else, and he just keeps snatching everybody's ankles. So keep just firing up. I mean, he's he's much better than I thought. I'm sure most much better than what everybody thought. And he's legit. He's like a legit. I'm probably going to have him inside my top 24 wide receivers this week. He's legit your size. Oh, yeah. I might be more athletic than he is. No. That's a lie. That's a lie. Pull up his mock draftable. That's a lie. I mean, I'm not going to say he's like a supreme athlete. You talked about your viral tweet. I mean, I had mine with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown flexing their muscles and then Hunter Renfro because they're on the same class. And, you know, which one's the one putting up 100-yard games out there? That is uh, – here we go. That's how you vamp. That's how you buy time for your co-host to find some content out there. Look, if we – where he wins, hashtag where he wins, three-cone, short shuttle, long shuttle, all above average. Who cares about the other stuff? When you create separation – and when you and your quarterback are so in sync that you can put three, four, five moves on a cornerback in a single route, like you're in one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl and you're Braxton Miller, and so you get drafted in round two, that's what Hunter Renfro is actually doing in NFL field, and it's working. 
how are his hands that small? Under eight inches. I have bigger hands. Yeah. Shout out me too. Shout out you. We yeah, we can take him in some of these categories. There we go. It's insane though. He's just routing up everybody. Like corners need to be scared of Hunter Henry. He's coming for you. Yeah. I mean, even Jalen Ramsey. And Jalen was like, no, he didn't. And then they showed this tape and they're like, yeah, he did. He's he's nice. I mean, it is because the routes that he's putting out there are are not ones that like you practice against or you see in a weekly basis. Like they have two, three, four, five dimensions to them. So yeah. It's like backyard football. It's like flag football out there at recess. Eighth grade, Josh Norris, baller. Ask anyone at Charlotte Country Day School during those times. Anyone. I will. Jarvis Landry coming out of a bye. We talked about the backfield. What do you still want to say about the wide receivers? I simply, and I know he probably has great usage. I mean, if I'm relying on Baker Mayfield as we go into the fantasy football playoffs, my team is effed, Hayden. Yeah, I think your team is probably effed. Dang it. Is my Wi-Fi bad again? It's okay. You're back. Can you okay, hear me? I'm back. Yeah. You had a great joke and you toss it to me and then the Wi-Fi lets me down. But yeah, Jarvis Landry, uh, wide receiver, uh, 24 usage. I mean, what do you want me to say? He's, he's there. He's better than the other wide receivers the Browns have. That is a disastrous wide receiver room. I mean, yeah. none of those guys are good. None. None. Ming Han, quicker 40 time. Josh or Hayden. Uh, we, we established this at, at Roto World. Uh, I can call him out since I don't work with him anymore. Just don't send this back to him. Patrick Darty firmly believes he can run sub five. And I think he even said like sub four, nine, he could run, which is such a ludicrous statement. If you gave me five to one odds, like I had to pay 500 to get 100 that Pat doesn't run a sub five. I'm doing it every single day. Yeah. Uh, I have a wedding in next May. I plan on take getting into pretty good shape these next couple months i would like to take a uh, couple couple measurements see what i got I, I i can i'm a decent athlete i'm not a great athlete but i got some buckets in my in my time in high school i can i can move a little bit cool. i'm not just right. some scrappy fantasy analyst I'm, I'm above that let's talk about some real athletes because i actually do want to talk about the seattle um wide receiver room because dk metcalf the production is still a bit sporadic but it seems like there is some consistency hayden from russell wilson over over to Tyler Lockett. What does the usage model say? Yeah, Tyler Lockett, wide receiver 32 usage. DK Metcalf, wide receiver 24 usage. This has been the worst stint for, in DK Metcalf's career by far. The last four uh, weeks, he's down to wide receiver 52 in actual production. He's one of the biggest positive regression candidates there is. Russell Wilson, I haven't got to watch this game yet, but his numbers looked just better, his accuracy numbers at least looked better so he can get hot a little bit down the stretch um it's just tough like the tire locket i mean he's just so far down the usage he's down to wide receiver 32 so don't like that um so yeah you're just betting on russell wilson just getting a little bit better as time progresses but yeah metcalf's just been barely missing some plays yeah look i mean this is instant separation that dk gets this is actually a really good job by the cornerback i think it's emmanuel mosley of closing the distance and staying in phase and it's just an awful ball from from russ i mean i understand that the safety is coming over and dk pleaded with you to throw the ball up high but uh he's out of bounds he's out of bounds there i did want to bring up tyra lockett's release on his touchdown against josh norman because this fancy footwork is dreams it's this little shuffle release to the left boom boom get josh norman who's you know half a second slower 
than Tyler Lockett. And then he stacks him right there in terms of basically releasing his shoulder and getting it off. And then see where that ball is thrown or when it's thrown during the route from Russell Wilson. Tyler Lockett is nowhere near the spot he is going to be um, at the end of this route for the touchdown catch. And Russ just lobs it up. I mean, this is probably the best throw that Russ has had since his return here to the starting lineup. And that's perfect. I mean, that's perfect strides, perfect position, tight coverage at the end of it. But just the sliver of separation that you create in the red zone where separation is tough to acquire, and Tyler Lockett's able to do it. Good stuff. Good stuff. If you have Tyler Lockett, are you starting him next week? I think for me, the answer is yes. Metcalf, yes. Lockett, yes. Russell Luckily, Wilson, no. Don't have to make that decision until Sunday morning. There we go. Russell Gage is coming along. Uh, weird team, the Falcons. Let's talk about Russell Gage, though, because he headlines a whole bunch of waiver wire columns this week. What does the model say? Model loves him. Model loved him last week. He's higher than that now. He's up to wide receiver 27 usage, wide receiver 23 production over the last month. I don't know. He he sits in zone. He can win in man coverage a little bit. I mean, better than the other guys that they have. Right. And this team's defense is so bad that they're going to pass the ball. So um, obviously you don't love it, but you can do much worse than Russell Gage. Right. Like there are some themes here, right? This past week when he had 12 targets, 11 receptions, 130 yards, the Falcons gave up 30 points and they put up 17. So like they were chasing the game. Yep. The previous week against the Jaguars, seven targets. They put up 21 points in offense. He had a touchdown, 62 yards. That's great. Week 11 against the Patriots. Again, they give up 25 points in that game, and he gets eight targets. They're chasing the game. I can go back to week nine. Chasing the game, and they actually win. They put up 27 points against the Saints. Eight targets in that one. Now, against the Cowboys, and hopefully he didn't leave early in that game. No, he played 65% of snaps. Just three targets, and then they put up three points. You know? So, the Falcons are bad defensively. They're pretty bad offensively, too. They're going to be in negative game scripts, and so they have to throw the ball to someone. Things are not being funneled in Kyle Pitts's way to the degree that like, maybe we were just hoping for, but I think that's fantasy land at this point because he's a rookie. Defenses know he's great, and it's tough. It's tough, it's tough to just like say, we're going to throw it to this guy over and over and over again. And so Russell Gage is the one that, other than Cordero Patterson, is probably the most consistent in terms of his opportunity on the team. So when I watched the Falcons on all 22 this week, I like just kept circling like, where's Kyle Pitts? Who's guarding him? That thing. Because I wanted to get some answers. And this is some of my notes. Um, They went to a bunch formation and they had Carlson Davis go follow Kyle Pitts. Um, There was man on man coverage down the field and Carlson Davis deflected a pass downfield against Pitts. There was another one where... uh, Pitts went into motion. Sean Murphy bunting another corner for the Bucks. followed him in motion, stayed in man-to-man coverage, even though Kyle Pitts went into uh, as an inline tight end. And then there was uh, another one where he was in motion again. And then Jameel Dean. So that's the third different corner on the Bucks traveling with him in man coverage. So even if he's in, in line, a lot of these teams are saying, screw it, we're putting a corner on Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts is going to have to be a little more refined in his route running and have to battle against legit corners. Like teams are treating him as a wide receiver. Um, sometimes even when he's lined up in uh, a three point stance, this is so tough from Connor because Kyle Pitts, he will give you the ceiling of every single game of like 70, 80, 90, like 
that is so enticing to chase at that position, but it's impossible to not say that Tyler Conklin is more reliable. So maybe it's up to your matchup, expected points, how you read their lineup versus your lineup, so on and so forth, how good you feel about your players. And if you want to chase it, or if you want just like stability from that spot. Fair? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like this is, they're going to be very close in my rankings. I haven't like sat there and like thought this through, but there was a couple plays, like even like this last game, Kyle Pitts, uh, ball to the outside. He barely steps out of bounds after catching it. If he doesn't step out of bounds, we're talking about a 45 yard touchdown. Uh, there was a couple other, which is like first and one play action going to Kyle Pitts. He's just like double covered there. So like he's still a priority and it's still like when you watch him, just you can see how he can have a couple massive games. So it's definitely a floor versus ceiling thing. But I do think that like Tyler Conklin's the hard one. Cause like I want to be starting Tyler, Tyler Conklin, but yeah, they're going to be very close in the rankings. Right. And then no matter what, it's impossible to get over your preseason beliefs of the two and just like always in the back of your mind of because the talent is there for Kyle Pitts to have an awesome second year too. You know, yeah. it's just not the tight end four that we drafted, obviously. Okay. A couple more names. MVS is written down. He's a staple on the show because you're also a staple of the show, Hayden. Uh, but MVS is making plays. And Aaron Rodgers playing very well. What do you want to say about MVS before we move on after coming off a of bye week? Yeah, last month, he's the wide receiver 29 in fantasy usage. He's had 14.1 and 11.6 expected half PPR points. He ran around on 78% of the dropbacks. All that stuff is right in line. We know he's a deep ball threat. So if you're looking and you're projected to lose by 15 points and you're f- trying to find that wide receiver four in your lineup, why not MVS? I think that he's supremely underrated always and i think that he's in that boom bust uh wide receiver four mix at, at the very worst cardinals wide receivers so we saw deandre hopkins return to the lineup he caught a touchdown uh, on the day just two targets 32 yards and a score the cardinals totals as a whole were lower other than james connor because they had so many short fields to work with um but we saw deandre hopkins you know play 74% of the offensive snaps. So I'm assuming that gave us Christian Kirk back in the slot and AJ Green back out wide again. And then Rondell Moore in his typical role, just like we saw earlier on this year. Is that fair to say, Hayden? It was chaos. And oh. yeah, what happened was, is they're using all four wide receivers. And like they started out the game in like two wide receiver sets. And then like Rondell Moore was a part of those. And then they got to the red zone. And then all of a sudden they went to three wide receiver sets. And in those situations, it was mostly like the classic Kirk, uh, AJ Green, and um, DeAndre Hopkins in those. But it's it's certainly a, a four wide receiver rotation. Uh, Rondell Moore played on sixty one percent of the route. That's way higher than normal. They kept getting crazy. Like they were moving hmm. their formations around like nobody's business. Like more than I've ever seen this entire season. It was just like complete chaos like Rondell Moore wildcat Rondell Moore running back Rondell Moore faking balls to Kyler Murray and then running it upfield so hmm. this is like the Christian Kirk and AJ Green roles probably took a hit because they're getting Rondell Moore involved and if you're a defense man like I don't know how you defend any of this stuff but, every single right. play is just <laughs> ludicrous but I do I do wonder if that also changes the question is 
when Chase Edmonds comes back too, because we know that that usage in terms of the manufactured touches seemingly were an extension of what Chase Edmonds was doing, not as a runner, but but as as a pass catcher. Yeah, I'm, I haven't watched this game as everyone can tell, but fifty percent in eleven water in eleven personnel, three wide receiver sets, and they easily led the NFL in four wide receiver sets this weekend at uh, at eighteen percent, one hundred thirty five snaps. So, my advice would be you can't start any oh, no. of the non DeAndre Hopkins guys. Oh, interesting. Um, that actually didn't work. That was not true. Let me find actually what the personnel groupings were because it was 67% and 11 personnel. And then they were only in four wide receiver sets for one snap. So yeah, it was the mixing and matching as you're talking about versus the standard three. Cool. But even like the mixing, there was no trend like Rondell Moore and 12 personnel. And then like all of a sudden, mm-hmm. then they would get to the goal line. Then they go take the second tight end off the field. Like they were like, I think they were saying like, oh, like Matt and Aggie, like, what are you, what are you going to do about this? And like, all of a yeah. sudden it was just like throw everything up there, but it was Rondell Moore, a win for Rondell Moore. I don't think he's going to be fantasy relevant just because his role. Yeah, really. And I get this on Twitter too. Rondell Moore, future baller said this before, but there are going to be plenty of blurbs on Roto world this summer of Rondell Moore is running legit routes or Rondell Moore is taking snaps on the outside. Because he's shown none of that during his rookie year. Like right now, because it's working for the team, he's simply a manufactured touch player. Um, in a lot of ways, thick Tavon. And it worked beautifully early on where he was taking those short receptions and taking them for, for deep gains. But until we see like Jamison Crowder usage or Hunter Renfro type routes, from I'm just throwing out slot wide receivers because I don't think Rondell's ever going to play on the outside. Like I just don't think that that is in the progression of that type of of body. I also think that they could just keep it how it is and bring it all back if that's working, and maybe improve off AJ Green if that's a possibility. But um, future baller, we all have different definitions of it. I love love a talent that breaks the mold like Rondell Moore does, but there has to be more traditional wide receiver aspects for us to trust him on a weekly basis. I don't draft slot only players period. Like even when they win, they win like as, as like the wide receiver 28. So not really a profile. I think he is a legit baller though. Like he's a special, special, special talent. I think ultimately he's probably gonna be a better real life asset than fantasy asset, but we have all off season to argue about that. Broncos wide receivers. what do you want to say about that as we close out here? Because still no one is getting any production yeah Corlin said didn't make my list again i bring like 64 guys jerry judy like are you starting him i hope not like yeah yeah you can't start any of them and jerry judy is another one of these players like i mean i don't know i feel like he might be a little bit overrated just Hmm. by everybody like just long-term upside with the other two guys there i mean if aaron Rodgers or something comes like obviously you're gonna have to change the perspective but this offense is just hates fantasy points trill Trill, first of all, if you think I am the one that has hatred in my soul for Jalen Rager, you don't pay enough attention to what Hayden Wink says. All I called him was a cruise ship that can't turn left or right, which is true. Hayden, your thoughts on Jalen Rager? I never thought he was good. (laughs) Trill, you're the man, buddy. We'll be speaking to you soon. All right. And as always, for the tight end position, as we got into once these shows started going an hour and a half long, you can find all of your tight end needs. And Hayden, spam it in the chat in 
the fantasy usage model. Good stuff on George Kittle there in terms of taking over the yards after catch roll for Debo Samuel. I was going to show some of those plays, but it's just absurdness that he becomes the hammer and like the tightrope walking where he has a cornerback and Bobby Wagner chasing him and he's creating space between them. Holy cow. That stuff is nuts. So obviously we go back to that well and prioritize him on all platforms if Debo Samuel's out again, because I'm more ready to, you know, assign optimism that that can happen again than Brandon Ayuk taking over that that role, you know? So start George Kittle. You heard it here first. No, you know what I mean. Like if you're playing Battle Royale or if yes, you're playing DFS, pick them, you know? It's not just season long. I'm with maybe. you. I'm with you. Not just season long. All right, everyone. That does it for us. Again, huge favor to us if you go and like and subscribe down below. If you listen to us in the podcast feed, we love you. We appreciate you. We definitely appreciate the reviews. But go and check us out on the YouTube channel because we pull up plays and news and all that good stuff as we go along the show. We'll be back here on Thursday once again for the game-by-game preview show. And you can check out Hayden's work again on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. So for Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.